So this morning, I have a few questions before we start off. Who was the first shepherd? First shepherd ever. Anybody know? Abel. That would be Abel. Who were other famous Bible time shepherds? Abraham. David. Moses was also a shepherd. What American presidents, it's voting day, what American presidents raised sheep? Do you know? George Washington did at Mount Vernon. Thomas Jefferson did at Monticello. And President Woodrow Wilson had sheep grazing on the White House lawn. Okay, if you've got everything wrong so far, this is your time to shine. What animal is most often mentioned in the Bible? Come on. Sheep. Sheep. Yes. Over 500 times in Scripture, there is reference to sheep or the shepherd. Over 500 times. And you about right now are thinking, I must have done the wrong lesson for this week. No, you didn't. Here's what we're doing. This week we looked at Psalms 27, 16, and 46, was what your homework was. And they are all trust psalms. So today what we're going to do is look at another trust psalm that you didn't do homework on so we can get one more trust psalm in, okay? And so we're going to be looking at Psalm 23 today. I know it's a familiar psalm, but it is so rich and full of meaning that most of us, it would just pass us by because, well, most of us aren't shepherds. So I have to ask, is there anyone here raised on a sheep farm as a sheep herder or shepherd? Anybody? Okay, you laugh, but I asked this once at a retreat I was doing at another church, and there was a lady from Africa who was a shepherd. I had the most delightful talk with her afterwards, but I don't ever assume. So you are like me. I have never been raised on a sheep farm. I was raised in Texas with cattle, but not sheep. So I have done everything I can to understand this psalm more, its richness. So I've read it in as many versions as I can. I've listened to YouTubes on just beautiful music that has been made for John Rutter. Um, Whitney Houston has a beautiful, um, Keith Green, all three different genres of music there. Um, I've actually, there is a website called Sheep 101, 102. I'm not lying to you. It's for 4-H to teach new shepherds how to deal with sheep. I've, I've listened to those, read those. I've listened to a rabbi. I have done everything I can to understand this beautiful psalm. And so this morning, my desire is to pass some of that to you. It is absolutely rich. I, I don't know of a better word to, to say for this psalm. And the meaning that it has taken on in my life as I've understood it more, it's more than any other scripture in, in the whole book. So let's open with the word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this job. What a joy. Thank you for the gift of your word and for your spirit who we're trusting will teach us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. So let's begin with the word of God, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now the author of this psalm is David who becomes King David, but remember, he was a shepherd. It is believed that this psalm was written later in his life, so he's looking back over his time as a shepherd. I want us to look at this psalm. Eventually, we'll get to phrase by phrase, so don't freak out here at the beginning when we are actually going to do word by word. In every version, what is the first word of the psalm? B. Think just for a second. What if that one word was changed? What if it said, a Lord is my shepherd? That is a whole different, right there, a whole different psalm. That is important. The Lord is my shepherd. There is no one else but God. It made me think immediately of Psalms, no, not one. Give me Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus. The article is important. The. What's the next word? 
Lord. Lord. Notice in scripture, it's the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's important. Warren Wiersbe says, Yahweh Lord means the name conveys the concept of absolute being, the one who is and whose dynamic presence works on our behalf. It conveys the meaning of I am who and what I am and I do not change. I am here with you and for you. On your handout all through this are so what now what questions and I won't be reading all of them because I still had to cut time out and if I don't read them I can finish in an hour. Um, but I want you to read them, okay? And some of them I will just have to read. All right. This one. How would I live differently, act differently, talk differently, think differently if I truly believe God is right here with me all the time, every moment, everywhere? What's the next word in the psalm? <coughs> is. Is it any surprise that the verb that follows is is? The Lord, he is my shepherd. It's a participle. It actually means is shepherding me is what the real meaning is. The Lord is shepherding me. It's the present tense. It's not saying he remembers a time when God was his shepherd. It is current. Always present, personally with us. The Lord is shepherding me. The next word, the Lord is my personal possessive implies it is mine to claim. The Lord was David's personal claim. It's like saying my house, my husband, my family, my home, my shepherd. Again, look at the importance of the words here. Every one is important. It doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd or the Lord is a good shepherd. It says the Lord is my shepherd. I am his and he is mine. That is beautiful. We could stop right there and have a worship service right now, right here. <laughs> that, that is actually, the first verse is the main point. The rest of the psalm is talking about the first verse. All right, let's keep going. The Lord is my shepherd. Shepherd. Now, again, a word most of us lack connection with in America. But when this was written, they're fully connected. Even if you weren't a shepherd, sheep were everywhere. Everyone knew of a shepherd. The focus here is the shepherd, but obviously looking briefly at the sheep might give us some sin insight into the shepherd. So let's look at Psalm 103. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. There we are. Look at us. We're just adorable. Look at that little lamb just right there in the grass. So cute and pure and white. And that's what we'd like to think of ourselves. And this is probably what we are more often than not, right? This might be a more accurate picture I, I know of me. Um, I won't speak for you. But we're not quite so perfect, young, clean, and adorable as what we might like to think. So what's true about sheep? Why would God choose the shepherd and the sheep throughout scripture to talk about our relationship with him? Here's, these are facts true about sheep. Most of these came off of that sheep 101 and 102. They have a mass mind or mob instincts. They're fearful, stubborn, stupid. Now this one is questionable actually because there's been research done that sheep can actually learn to identify faces of other sheep and humans. They do have memory. Perverse habits, they're defenseless. They have no natural defenses, which is why they flee instead of fight. They're helpless. They have no sense of direction. They need almost constant care. They lack good vision. This is why sheep will typically get in groups of four or five at a minimum to graze because that allows them to maintain a visual link to each other. It goes along with their being social animals. They're timid. They're feeble. They're easily susceptible to colds, pneumonia, and other respiratory problems. They have a flocking instinct, which allows the herding to happen, uh, a large flock to be able to be herded by the shepherd. Well, I'm seeing a few similarities here in the behavior <laughs> of sheep and of some humans I know. So sheep need a shepherd. I need a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. On your handout is John 10, 1 through 18. Let's just look at verse 11. This is Jesus speaking. So this is now in the New Testament, right? 
In Psalm, we hear King David say, the Lord is my shepherd. And now look what Jesus says in the New Testament. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. And then moving to verses 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Don't miss this. How do I know my good shepherd Jesus? What does scripture say? How am I to know him? I will wait you out. I taught college kids. No, how, how am I to know him? His voice. At what would you say, Cheryl? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Mm -hmm. All this is right. I am to know him as my father knows me and I know the father. That's what Jesus said. There is, is there a closer relationship that you can think of anywhere, anytime, any place than that between the Father and the Son? It's two parts of the Trinity. There is no closer relationship. And this is what Jesus wants for me with him. That's amazing. That's how I'm to know Jesus. As the Father knows the Son and as the Son knows the Father. Wow. Okay. Is it any wonder then when Jesus prays for us at the end of his earthly life in John 17, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. My oneness with, the, with Jesus is supposed to shout to the world who Jesus is. That's pretty awesome. Okay. So that's a close relationship. Again, I can't think of a closer one than that, the Trinity. So what now what? What is my relationship with the shepherd? You know, initially, am I his? But also today, am I with him? Am I following him, obeying him, being like him? Am I one with Jesus? The Lord is my shepherd, that's relationship. The next part says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is the last half of verse 1. This is what I'm talking about, that verse 1 is the point and everything else follows. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In NLT, it says, I have all that I need. In the NIV, it says, I lack nothing. There's two concepts going on here. The first concept is that not of lacking, not deficient in the proper care management or husbandry. Okay. The second emphasis deals with being utterly contented in the good shepherd's care. Consequently, not craving or desiring anything more. I have to stop here and tell a story. You're probably going to make me go over. Oh, shoot me. So, a few weeks ago, while we were in, in big church, the children were having their own uh, time. And they were to do an exercise. And this happened in the little third grade section. And they were asked to write on a sheet of paper to draw a circle. And on the inside of the circle, put what God has done for them, what he's given them, answers to prayer, etc. And on the outside of the circle, to write what they are still waiting for God to do for them or to give them, what they're praying about now. And then they were going to share that with the other third graders in the circle. And one little boy shared his, and in his circle was Jesus. And there was nothing else. And he said, he's given me Jesus. I don't really need anything else. And I thought, well, there you go. He got Psalm 23, didn't he? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have everything that I need. He's probably going to be the next Billy Graham. I don't know. It was a boy. I don't know. Remember David, you know, his life. He was hunted by Saul, his own estranged son, Absalom. He's known intense privation, deep personal poverty, hardship, anguish of spirit. So let's not mess up what this means. It's absurd to think that this statement means that as a child of God, we're never going to experience lack or need. Okay, that's not, that's not what this is. It goes deeper than that. The background to this next passage in Revelation is this is to the church in Laodicea, the lukewarm church. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. 
And Jesus says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. In the Mark passage, it's on your handout there, that's the rich young man and he asks, what do I need to do? And after it's discovered that he has kept the law, which that would be a miracle, right? Then Jesus tells him, no, what you need to do is sell everything, come and follow me. What did he need? Jesus, right? That is the deepest need that we have, Jesus. He needed a following relationship with Jesus. Second Peter 1, 2, and 3 says, May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Wow, here we are again to know him is to love him. To love him is to obey him. To obey him is to live as Jesus did, right? And so we are knowing him each time we open God's word, what we're doing this morning, what you did all last week. I shall not want, I shall not lack the expert care and management of my master. And we're not just talking about any shepherd here, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 68, 19 Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. I shall not want. That's contentment. Notice the difference in the physical and the spiritual again in these three verses, in Matthew, in Philippians, and Ephesians. God will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm because we are united with Christ Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd, is shepherding me. I shall not want, I will not lack the expert care. So what now, what am I content? Would those I live with characterize me as a contented person? I tell you, if I ask it to me, I ask it to you. It's fair game. So a lot of times as I write a question, I'm like, yes, oh, okay, so there's more. So that's the one that there was another question I had to ask myself. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Rabbi Zalman teaches on Psalm 23. It's a beautiful teaching that he does. And he says this actually literally means sprawl in green pastures. Isn't that a beautiful picture? <laughs> he maketh me to sprawl in green pastures. Isaiah 26.3 says you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. There are four requirements that must happen. Necessary freedoms for a sheep to be able to sprawl in green pastures, okay? The first is freedom from fear. This is really goes back to their uh, innate characteristic that they are fearful, they're timid. You know a jackrabbit jumping out of the brush can frighten an entire herd of sheep and cause them to run? A jackrabbit, okay? A jackrabbit, newsflash, can't actually even hurt the sheep, okay? <laughs> Freedom from tension. This is friction with others of their kind, again, because of their social behavior. They have to have a freedom from aggravations, freedom from flies and parasites and other aggravations. Freedom from hunger, from the need to find food. Now, when you look at each of these, it is only the shepherd that can provide release from these anxieties. Only the shepherd. The sheep cannot solve a one of these. Not one by the sheep, by himself, or even other sheep cannot help one sheep. It's only the shepherd. So let's talk about these just a little bit. The freedom from fear, I mentioned the jackrabbit. He maketh me to lie down. How? You know what? Sometimes it is just the knowledge of his presence. There's uh, several scriptures on your handout there. I will never leave you or forsake you. It is the work of God's gracious Holy Spirit, the sense of presence to our fearful hearts. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound or disciplined mind. The idea of a sound mind, of a mind at ease, at peace, not perturbed or harassed or obsessed with fear and foreboding for the future, that's a gift from God, our shepherd. Freedom from tension, rivalry, cruel competition within the flock itself. You know, all animals... All animals in the animal kingdom have pecking orders, if you will, right? 
So chickens, it is called pecking order. Cattle, it's called horning order. And for sheep, it's called budding order. So this friction happens in the flock, and the sheep cannot lie down when there is friction among one sheep and another sheep. They will not lie down. There's no sprawling in the green grass when there's friction among the sheep. But when the sheep notice the shepherd's presence, their shift, their focus shifts, and it's no longer on the other sheep. It's on the shepherd. So again, we have the importance of the presence of the shepherd. Think of the physical presence of the mom. You know, sometimes a mom can just walk in the room and, lo and behold, everybody's doing fine. Now, that doesn't always work, right? But you know what I'm talking about. And, and sometimes it is literally the presence of the shepherd, the refocus of the sheep to the shepherd. Again, you can look at the scriptures there on your own time. When my eyes are on my master, they're not on those around me. Psalm 133, we'll just do that one. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Freedom from aggravations. Sheep, especially in the summertime, there's so many gross things that happen with sheep in the summertime, and I'm going to bring myself to talk to you about two of them later. But it's bad. It's really gross. But, and it's impossible for them to lie down and rest. Summertime is the hardest time for them to sprawl in the grass. And the shepherd... Again, the only one that can solve it. And he does it with repellents, with oil. We'll talk about that in a moment. The shepherd must be among his charges in order to see this behavior. Because there is a certain behavior that happens with the sheep when these nose flies and warbles and terrible stuff gets in them. But the, sheep, the shepherd is right there with the sheep. And so he notices, oh, this is going on with the sheep. And he gives that sheep tender one-on-one -on -one care. We'll talk about that with the oil in a minute. And yes, I say oil. I'm from Texas, so we make more than anybody else in the United States. So when I say oil, I mean oil. O-I-L. All right. Antidote here, what bugs you? This is one of the main functions of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And he is often symbolized by oil in Scripture. Did you know that? All right, let's keep going. You can look up Colossians 3, 12 through 14 on your own. Freedom from hunger. You know, they, uh, sheep do the best in dry, semi-arid areas, but that is also the exact place that it's neither natural nor common to find green pastures. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, to Israel, you'll notice it's not a, it's not a lush green place, especially where David was herding his sheep. In Palestine, where David was and where he wrote this psalm and where he kept his father's sheep near Bethlehem, it's dry, brown, and sunburned wasteland. Green pastures didn't just happen. It took labor, time, skill of how to use the land. So the shepherd plows careful soil preparation, seeding and planting special grains and legumes, I love that word, irrigating with water, one of the keys to the entire ranching, when you read the uh, Sheep 101 and 102, is good land. Do you know lambs can reach 100 pounds in weight within 100 days from birth? Thank you, Lord Jesus, that that's not how humans are. Can you imagine? <laughs> the secret is the land, because the flock has to be able to fill up quickly to, to get that nourishment of the food and then be able to rest, to lie down quietly to ruminate and that's what causes the sheep to grow so quickly and so healthily 100 pounds in 100 days you see the correlation here how god works in my life to clear rocks of stony unbelief to tear up roots of bitterness attempt to break up my hard proud human heart he sows the seed of his own precious word he waters with his holy spirit the life of this quiet overcoming of happy repose, of rest in his presence, confidence in his management, it's actually how I'm meant to live day by day. That is his joy for me. Though Matthew eleven twenty eight is on your sheet. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. That's rest. Psalm 121, 5 through 7, the Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. 
The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. You read those so what now what's later on your own. I hope you'll give some time to think about those. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Although sheep thrive in the dry semi-arid country, they still require water. And the key to where water can be obtained lies with the shepherd, not the sheep. When the sheep are thirsty, do you know they'll just leave, go off on their own and try and find water? That's kind of stupid, I know, but that's what they do. So the shepherd has to make sure they don't get thirsty, right? He's ready to meet the need before there even is a need. This is Jesus in your life. This is the sweetness of Jesus. All right, let's keep going. The parallel, of course, you can see it in the New Testament so beautifully when Jesus speaks on your handout, Matthew 5 and 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled or satisfied. John 7, 37 Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. All right, for sheep, um, water comes from three main sources. The first source is actually dew on the grass. Do you know sheep can go for months if the weather is not too hot without if the weather is not too hot without actually drinking if there is a heavy dew on the grass each morning? Sheep by habit, they rise before dawn, and they start to feed. Do you know, if there's a bright moon, they'll get up at nighttime and start to feed because we're just that brilliant. You know, we think it's, it must be day. So we get up and we start eating. The early hours are when the vegetation is drenched with the dew. Sheep can keep fit on the amount of water taken in with their forage when they graze just before or after dawn. There is a parallel here. Do you see the value of my starting my day with Jesus? Psalm 5. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. Psalm 63. Oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. In the morning, deep in the dew-drenched grass, the sheep get up. And they drink. And then as the sun comes up, the flock requires to find sh uh, retires to go find shade. All right, let's keep going. Deep wells is the next place that the sheep can find water. Again, this is from the hand of God. Deep wells of God are not necessarily always a delightful experience that we might want to imagine them to be. One of the authors tells of shepherds in Africa. And by the way, I gave you some main sources there at the very top of your handout. You can look at those on your own as well. They were like great rooms chiseled out of the rocks. This is in Africa with ramps running down to the water trough at the bottom. The herds and flocks were led down into these deep cisterns. And what did you find when we just got back from um, a little vacation? And we went into the caves. And we went down into the caves and saw this. I didn't know. I, I'm like, oh, Psalm 23, look at this right before my eyes. The water was crystal clear. Under the earth, I don't remember how many feet we were under the earth, a waterfall even in this cave. This is what this is talking about. Jesus let me see it last week. Listen to this. This comes from Keller's book. As I stood there watching the animals quench their thirst at the still waters, I was again immensely impressed by the fact that everything hinged and depended upon the diligence of the shepherd. Only through his energy, his efforts, his sweat, his strength, could the sheep be satisfied? Because do you know who was at the bottom of the cave where the water, the pure water was? It was the shepherd bailing the water for the sheep. That's where the shepherd is. The parallel for me. The places that we may be led may appear to me to be dark, maybe deep, dangerous, even somewhat disagreeable. But he is there with me in it. He is very much at work in the situation. 
Now, some don't want to be directed by the Holy Spirit, even the springs or streams. And this reminds me of Jeremiah 2.13. It's on your handout. The third source, springs or streams. There was another story in one of the books that where he uh, is watching a shepherd with his sheep. Okay, that does not mean, Sharon, that I have to stop because I got more time today. Turn off your alarm. Okay. All right. Um, and what was happening is the shepherd had a plan and was trying to lead the sheep to the springs. But uh, a few of the sheep decided uh, they weren't going to follow and go with the shepherd and went off on their own. And they were stopping to drink from small, dirty, muddy pools beside the trail. They were filthy. They were polluted. There was mud actually in them that had been churned up. There was urine and manure in the pools of water. But these sheep were just sure this was, this was it. Do you see a parallel? I don't think I need to talk too much on that, right? <laughs> we need to not settle. I need to not settle. I need to follow the Holy Spirit in my life. The scriptures on your handout there, Galatians 5, we'll read just one verse, verse 25. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. He leadeth me beside the still water. That's refreshment. He restoreth my soul. Wait, I'm in the Good Shepherd's care, and my soul needs restoring? Wait, what? Yes, my soul needs restoring. David was acquainted with this phenomenon. You studied it this week when you looked at Psalm 42. The sheep parallel. The significance of a cast sheep or a cast down sheep. It's a pathetic sight. They're lying on their back. Their feet are in the air and they're flailing away frantically and they cannot get up on their own. The sheep will actually die in this position if it's not righted. So it's essential for a careful shepherd to always be looking over his flock. Now, not only the shepherd is keeping an eye out for a cast sheep, guess who else is? All the predators. Buzzards, vultures, dogs, coyotes, cougars. How does a sheep get this way? Well, a heavy, fat, or long fleece sheep can lie down comfortably in some little hollow in the ground, and they may roll on its side slightly to stretch out or relax, just getting comfortable. But suddenly their center of gravity shifts and their feet no longer touch the ground and panic sets in. And they start to paw frantically, which causes them to roll over even further. As they struggle, the gases build up in the rumen, which is the first part of the stomach. This retards and cuts off the blood circulation to their extremities, to their legs. So now their legs are numb. They can die in a few hours if it's hot and sunny. If it's cool and cloudy and rainy, they actually could survive in this position for several days. <laughs> Listen to this. I, 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 I try not to read, but sometimes people's words, I just can't do it any better. So here. Again, this is a shepherd, uh, an actual shepherd speaking. Again and again, I would spend hours searching for a single sheep that was missing. Then more often than not, I would see it as, at a distance, down on its back, lying helpless. At once, I would start to run toward it, hurrying as fast as I could, for every minute was critical. Within me, there was a mingled sense of fear and joy. Fear it might be too late, joy that it was found at all. As soon as I reached the cast ewe, my very first impulse was to pick it up. Tenderly, I would roll the sheep over on its side. This would relieve the pressure of gases in the rumen. If she had been down for long, I would have to lift her onto her feet. Then straddling the sheep with my legs, I would hold her erect, rubbing her limbs to restore the circulation to her legs. This often took quite a little time. When the sheep started to walk again, she often just stumbled, staggered, and collapsed in a heap once more. All the time I worked on the cast sheep, I would talk to it gently. When are you going to learn to stand on your own feet? I'm so glad I found you in time, you rascal. And so the conversation would go, always couched in language that combined tenderness and rebuke, compassion and correction. Little by little, the sheep would regain its equilibrium. It would start to walk steadily and surely. By and by, it would dash away to rejoin the others, set free from its fears and frustrations. That's our shepherd. Dealing with us so gently, so pathetic, the cast sheep. Well, how does a sheep get cast, you might ask, because I had to ask. How does this happen? Well, 
there are some ways that are directly paralleled to us as Christians that sheep can find themselves in this position. Think, for example, even in Scripture with this being Easter time of Peter. He was a cast sheep. Look at how Jesus restored Peter after he denied him through such gentleness. All right, cautions on being a, a cast Christian. Am I looking for a soft spot, a comfortable spot? Easy place, cozy com cozy corner, no hardship, no need for endurance. Do I have too much wool? The fleece can become very long and heavily matted with mud and manure and burrs and other debris. And when that happens, it's much easier for that sheep to become cast. They are literally weighed down with their own wool. Wool in scripture, by the way, always refers to our old self-life. Do, do you know that um, the high priest was never allowed to wear wool whenever he entered the Holy of Holies? Because wool was a symbol of self and pride and sin. So the shepherd shears the sheep, right? Not always pleasant. And the sheep don't enjoy being sheared, by the way. For the Christian, this reminds me of the cutting edge of his word. The third reason you can be cast down is, am I just too fat? Not the most healthy nor the most productive. And this problem takes long-range planning for the shepherd to address. So the shepherd will put the ewes on a more rigorous ration. His aim is to see that the sheep are strong and sturdy and energetic and don't become in this cast-down position. So he disciplines them. Again, in my Christian life, I see this. A way of disciplining and the spiritual disciplines both. The Hebrews passage is on your handout there for you. God knows what he's doing with me. He restoreth my soul. That's healing. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Rabbi Zalman says a truer translation would be circuitous path of righteousness, which actually fits with sheep 101 perfectly. Because did you know sheep don't walk in a straight line? They do a winding trail because that allows the sheep to observe their backside first with one eye and then the other. Sheep are notorious creatures of habits. They'll just keep following the same trails over and over and over again until the land is no good anymore. They've rutted it out. They pollute their own ground and it becomes corrupt with disease and with parasites. The solution? Keep them moving. An average sheep is put into new ground almost every week by the shepherd, right? The sheep don't go, hey, everybody, I think we need to go to new ground, right? No, it's the shepherd, right? We're a lot like sheep. Most of us are stiff-necked and stubborn, and we just prefer to follow our own fancies, turn to our own ways. Makes me think of Isaiah 53, 6. It's on your handout. I need a shepherd. Look at Proverbs 14 and Psalm 32. The good shepherd says in John 14, I am the way. And in John 10, 10, he says, I've got abundant life for you. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. That's guidance and purpose. Look at Hosea 14, 9. Let those who are wise understand these things. Let those with discernment listen carefully. The paths of the Lord are true and right, and righteous people live by walking in them. My purpose for his name's sake. In Revelation 4, 11, it's on your handout. You are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created everything. And it is for your pleasure that they exist and were created. Now, if we took the compound names of Jehovah that you find in the Old Testament and reflect on the contents of just this Psalm 23, I don't have a lot of time to go through this, but you just have to see it. I shall not want, that's Jehovah Jireh. By the way, Abraham said that in Genesis twenty-two fourteen. That was when that term was used. Still waters, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. That was Gideon in Judges 6. Restores my soul, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals in Exodus. Passive righteousness, Jehovah, oh boy, this one's a hard one, sick canoe. The Lord our righteousness is what it means. That's in Jeremiah 33. You are with me, Jehovah Shammah means the Lord is there. That's in Ezekiel 48. Presence of my enemies, Jehovah Nissi. That means the Lord our banner. Moses uses that phrase in Exodus 17. 
anoint my head. That's Jehovah Makadesh, the Lord who sanctifies, is what that one means, and it's used in Leviticus 20. Look at all of that in this one psalm, the compound names of Jehovah right here in this one psalm. And that's just a taste of for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. These are actual pictures along the road going down from Jerusalem towards Jericho, which is located in the Jordan River Valley. You'll notice there are sheep here, actually. It is a steep, winding road. There's rocks and huge cliffs on each side. This is the location, by the way, of the teaching of Jesus about the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. Rabbi Zalman says that a truer translation would be Valley of Dark Shadows. Do you see the shadows here in these valleys? What do you notice at this point in the psalm? This is our halfway point. You see how he's turning now to address the shepherd. He's not talking about the shepherd anymore. Also, in the valley, he is not before us, but beside us. Now, there is a cycle. And I'll just do it really quickly because, yeah, look, I'm already over. Okay, we'll cut some more stuff out. Don't worry. Okay. So there is this, um, there is this cycle that happens here. This is home base, and this is where they're going to be in winter. And this is, uh, in the spring, they head up. In the summer, they're up here on the top. And then as the snow starts coming, they make their way down in the fall to where by the winter time, they're back at home base. Okay? So the rest of the psalm is taking place in the context of the season of the sheep. Okay? So let's keep that in mind as we keep going. All right? All right. This path, it's not a new adventure for the shepherd. The shepherd never takes his flock where he has not been. Does that make you think of Hebrews 4? It's on your handout. And Isaiah 53. There are dangers. Some of the dangers. Rampaging rivers and floods, avalanches, rock slides, poisonous plants, ravages of predators that raid the flock, storms of sleet, hail, and snow. But why through the valley? First of all, it is in the valley, even with these dangers, that it is the path of gentlest grades. In the Christian life, we often speak of wanting to move on to higher ground with God. Well, there is no airlifting of sheep, and there is no airlifting of us. The way to get there is through the valley. Every mountain has its valley. Even in our modern highways, we spent 21 years of my first 21 years of life traveling from Texas to Tennessee to the Great Smoky Mountains. That's where my dad's family was from. And that is how they built the roads, just like this. Still do. Our valleys, our disappointments, frustrations, discouragements, those are kind of words you typically think of when you think of a valley. But they can be the road to higher ground in our walk with God. The ways of God lead upward through the valleys of our lives. This is where it becomes really important, our attitude and our perspective. Acceptance with gratitude moves us on to higher ground with God. The second reason why sheep are taken to the mountaintops by ways of the valley, it's because it's the well-watered route. As Christians, we discover that it's in the valley of our lives that we find refreshment from God himself. I know this is true in my life. The hardest day of my life so far was when my mother suddenly went to see Jesus face to face. And I can tell you this is true. It is also the time that I knew God in deeper ways than I have ever known him before. All right, let's keep moving. A third reason why the shepherd takes us through the valley is because this is where the richest feed and, and best forage is found. The flock is moved along gently. Nothing so stimulates faith in my heavenly father as when I look back and reflect on his faithfulness in hard times where he's proven his care, his compassion, his concern. This is where journaling can be such a help to you, ladies, if you'll take the time to write down in the valleys how God is so faithful, so loving. All right. 
Uh, Psalm 107 on your handout. I love that scripture. See in our history the faithful love of the Lord. That's what I want. I want those that come after me to see in my history the faithful love of the Lord. The theme of seven, Psalm 71, God's constant, constant help from childhood to old age. Our lives are a testimony of what God has done for us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's testing. I will fear no evil. That's confidence. Why? Because it's not so bad? Because I should be able to buck it up? Because I'm not the first? Because tomorrow is another day? No. The reason I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. That's the reason I fear no evil. Look at Isaiah 40, 11 on your handout. For thou art with me, that's faithfulness. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Rabbi Zelman says this actually means the rod and staff equally give me comfort. So let's talk about these two tools for a moment. The rod and the staff are the common and universal equipment of the primitive shepherd and even shepherds today. The rod was a symbol of strength, power, and authority. It's an extension of the owner's right hand. Think about it. when Moses, when God says, what's in your hand, Moses? What was in his hand? The rod. The rod was in his hand. Rod speaks, therefore, of the spoken word, thus saith the Lord. Scriptures are his rod, the word of God, the shepherd's hand of authority. Clear-cut, powerful instrument under which we are to conduct ourselves. A second dimension of the rod used by the shepherd, namely that of discipline. There are several scriptures on your handout. Let's just read Psalm 94. Joyful are those you discipline, Lord, those you teach with your instruction. It's the Holy Spirit often using the living word that convicts our conscience into right conduct. You can read that in 2 Timothy 3 on your handout. Another use of the rod is to examine and count the sheep. There's they, the sheep literally pass under the rod. This reference is made in Ezekiel 20. You can read that. Coming under the owner's control and authority. To be subject to his most careful scrutiny of the sheep. A searching process makes me think of Psalm 139, right? Search me, O God, and know me. Another use of the rod, it's an instrument of protection for himself and the sheep. Used both as a defense and a deterrent. You might remember in the Old Testament, David gives this example to uh, Saul whenever he's going to go out and fight Goliath and says he used his rod to, you remember that story. The rod of God's word that Jesus used in the desert. When he was tempted by Satan. Now the staff. Let's move on. The staff. It identifies the shepherd as a shepherd. Do you know? No, uh, Nobody else uses a staff. It's not used with cattle, hogs, horses. It's designed and shaped. Adapted specifically to the needs of a sheep. And it's only used for their benefit. It's a symbol of the concern and compassion Whereas the rod conveys the concept of authority and power, of discipline, defense against danger, not so with the staff. It speaks to the long-suffering and the kindness. The staff of God is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, the essence of the sweetness, the comfort and consolation, the gentle correction brought about by the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Three more areas. Second, Drawing sheep together into an intimate relationship. Do you know the shepherd can use that hook to lift a newborn lamb and bring it back to its mother if they become separated? Because, of course, if the shepherd's scent gets on the lamb, the mother could reject the lamb. So he'll use the crook to do that. It can also reach out and catch individual sheep, young or old, to draw them close to himself for intimate examination. Third, it's used for guiding sheep. It's not used to beat the sheep in any way. Rather, the tip of it is used, the long slender stick, it's laid gently against the side of the sheep, just a little pressure applied, and it guides the sheep in the way the shepherd wants it to go. The sheep is reassured of its proper path. It's a way to be in touch, walking along. It's thought of as hand in hand when the shepherd uses that just to touch the sheep as it walks. 
the Holy Spirit sent to guide us and to lead us into all truth. Do you see it? John 16, you can read that. Sense of oneness, of belonging. Fourth, the staff is also used for rescue. Oh, we're just so stubborn and get in the most precarious predicament sometimes. And again, the shepherd can use that crook to lift the sheep out of the water, pull it out of entangled bushes. The rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That's discipline and deliverance. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Verse 5a. Now the sheep are approaching the high mountain country of the summer. So we're up there now. Okay, We're up in the summer. Applands or tablelands. In western U.S. and southern in the western U.S. and southern Europe, bless you, it's referred to as mesas. It's the Spanish word for tables. In Kiswali, an African word for a table is also mesa. High, flat, top plateau, table mountain near Cape Town. Thus, the table is not a piece of furniture. That's not what it's talking about here. This is a shepherd writing this, and he is thinking of the cycle of the sheep. So this is early in the, she- in the season. The shepherd goes ahead of the sheep and makes preliminary survey trips. And then just before the sheep arrive, he makes another expedition or two to prepare the table for them. Well, what is the shepherd preparing? He takes a supply of minerals to be distrib- distributed. He selects their uh, strategic spots that he's going to stop with the sheep. He decides where he camps. He checks to see if there are any poisonous weeds. He plans his grazing program. He looks for poisonous flowers that are pretty and are going to be attractive to the sheep. There's one called camas, C-A-M-M-A-S, and it's a beautiful flower, but it spells certain death for the sheep, and for some reason, sheep are attracted to this flower. And if they eat it, they will become paralyzed, stiffen up like blocks of wood, and simply succumb to the toxic poisons from the plants. So the shepherd pulls all the camas, gets rid of it long hours down on his hands and knees to prepare the table. Looks for other poisonous sweets. Why is it that we feel like we have to try everything? Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 10. Another preparation the shepherd takes is to keep an eye out for predators. He looks for poop. There's a nicer word for that. Spore, right? Of wolves, coyotes, cougars, and bears. Does it make you think of Satan as a roaring lion thinking he may devour? Another predator, the adder, that's a little brown snake, and it lives in the ground, and it has a hole, and it comes out and bites the tip of the nose of the sheep. The bite often becomes infected and can even kill the sheep. So what the shepherd does is he looks for these adder holes, and he'll put oil around the the circle where the adder will jump out, and that makes it harder for the adder to come out it's slippery and he'll also put oil on the nose of the sheep because then it's harder for the snake if it does get through the hole it's harder for the snake to hold on and bite the shepherd is preparing the table in the presence of the sheep's enemies another chore the shepherd takes care of oh my goodness six minutes all right let's see what we can cut um uh Skip, skip. Oh, okay. All right, let's go to Psalm 139. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. And to the lovely young lady who sent me a text this morning and had no idea I was going to share this scripture, this is what she prayed for me today. And I am sick. I got sick on vacation and have eaten four lozenges this morning. And my voice, you can't even tell, can you? So thank you. Um, Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. That's hope. Thou anointest my head with oil. Now remember, you're still up on the mountaintop. We're still in the summer. Summertime is fly time. Hordes of insects, warm weather. Warble flies, bot flies, heel flies, nose, nasal flies, deer flies, black flies, mosquitoes, gnats. It's so gross, y'all. They buzz around the sheep's head. They deposit eggs 
in the nose membrane, and then they hatch worm-like larvae that work their way up the nasal passages into the sheep's head. They burrow into the flesh and cause intense irritation, severe inflammation, and can actually lead to blindness of the sheep. Listen to what a sheep will do for relief from a nose fly. For relief, the sheep will deliberately beat their heads against trees, rocks, posts, or brush. They will rub them in the soil and thrash around against woody growth. The sheep may even kill itself in a frenzied endeavor to gain respite from the aggravation. They will stamp their feet, race from place to place, drop from sheer exhaustion, toss their heads up and down, hide in any bush or woodland that offers shelters, even refusing to graze in the open at all. This is serious stuff. It's not just, oh, that's a bother. This is serious. What does the shepherd do? At the very first sign, because he's watching every sheep, at the very first sign of this type of behavior, he applies an antidote to their heads. Immediate change in sheep's behavior. I need the continuous anointing of the Holy Spirit. This isn't a one-time thing that the shepherd does. Uh, on your handout, Romans 8, Luke 11, Galatians 5, beautiful passage on the Holy Spirit. Scab, sometime, summertime for the sheep, it's more than just fly time. It's also scab time. Scab is an irritating, highly contagious disease. It's caused by a minute microscopic parasite. It spreads through a flock by direct contact head to head from an infected sheep to another sheep. Sheep love to rub heads, and it's found most commonly around the head. You know in the Old Testament when it says a sacrificial lamb that's free from blemish? I'm going to go by that clock because I have more time. I have nine minutes over there. <laughs> that's right? Yeah. Okay, thank you, Connie. Yeah. All right, I'm looking that way. Um, so that, that free of blemish, it's talking about free of scab. It's a significant contamination of sin and of evil. The only effective antidote, again, in real life, is apply linseed oil, sulfur, sulfur, and then other chemicals that I can't pronounce controls the disease. Dips are built, and entire flocks are put through the dip. Each animal has to be completely submerged. The most difficult part to do is the head. The head has to be plunged under repeatedly several times to ensure that the scab will be under control. And oftentimes the shepherd takes great care and treats the head by hand. Can you see your good shepherd doing this? Entire flock, one by one. The parallel in the Christian life. Most of our contamination by the world, by sin, comes through our mind. Right? You can read Philippians 4. It's on your handout. What are we to think on? God's Holy Spirit applying himself to my mind. Read Romans 12 too. As the summer turns to autumn, the season of the rut, of mating, of great battles between the rams starts taking place for the possession of the ewes. And sheep will and can actually kill one another, injure and maim each other in these deadly combats. The remedy, catch the rams and smear their heads with oil. Because then as they butt, they slide off of one another. Who does this? Another sheep? No. Only the shepherd can do this. Only the shepherd can do it. Among God's people, I was thinking there's a considerable amount of knocking each other and bruising one another. The application of the presence of the Holy Spirit is our only hope. Right? The fruit of the Spirit. Think about it in Galatians 5. The shepherd's able to cope with every situation, good or bad, that I encounter. I should be satisfied with it, his care. It's no wonder that David says, my cup runneth over. It's a happy one that overflows with benefits of all sorts, content with whatever comes my way. Considering again the round of the year here, so autumn comes and the sheep are led back down to the home ranch. For winter, they'll be at the home ranch. There is no other season that finds them so fit so well and strong. And David writes, my cup runneth over. Now I have to comment here. Max Lucado talks about this cup runneth over and uh, associates it with the ancient East. And he says this is a, a, it's a message that a host would send to his guest of how long are you welcome here? 
Um, on those occasions when the host really enjoyed the company of the person, he filled the cup to overflowing. He didn't stop when the wine reached the rim. He kept pouring until the liquid ran over the edge of the cup and down on the table. Now think of the beautiful imagery here because David is saying, my cup runneth over. Who is the host? God. That's how much God wants to be with you. He is overflowing your cup. Now this made me think of, does anybody know what this is called? Courting candle. They uh, used to be, you know, before we had electricity, this is a courting candle. And it is the father's, the male of the house, his responsibility to set the courting candle. Whenever a young gentleman would come to the house to court the young lady, his daughter, the father would set the courting candle. So you could tell how much the father liked the boy by where he set it. Now this made me think of this, and I thought, this is, if God was setting the courting candle for me, how much time I got to spend with him, it would be all the way to the top. This is my cup runneth over, right? So you can read the convicting, so what now, what questions there on your own. Thou anointest my head with oil, that's consecration. My cup runneth over, that's abundance. Rabbi Zalman says it means more than that the cup is, quen the cup is quenching. It actually means I no longer thirst. All right, let's keep going. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. We have a privileged position no matter what comes, goodness and mercy will be the treatment I receive from my master shepherd, from his expert, loving hand. Is this outflow of goodness and mercy for me to stop and stagnate in my life? No, this goodness and mercy should overflow, right? Should pass on through me to benefit others. Think of Proverbs 10:7. We have happy memories of the godly. Is this true of my life? Do I leave a blessing and benediction behind me? Sir Alfred Tennyson wrote, The good men do lives after them. The only real practical measure of my appreciation for the goodness and mercy of God to me is the extent to which I am in turn prepared to show goodness and mercy to others. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's blessing and legacy. Psalm 31 says, How great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The sheep is so much at home with the shepherd. Not a shred of desire for change. I am his and he is mine. The only way into this fold is through the owner Christ himself. Jesus' I am's in the Gospel of John says, I am the gate or I am the door in some translations, referring to the sheep. You can read that in John 10, 9. One more reading from Keller's book because he says it so beautifully. It is the sheep's owner's presence that guarantees there will be no lack of any sort, that there will be abundant green pastures, that there will be still clean waters, that there will be new paths into fresh fields, that there will be safe summers on the high tablelands, that there will be freedom from fear, that there will be antidotes for flies and disease and parasites, that there will be quietness and contentment. Live ever aware of God's presence. I am to live ever aware of God's presence. I shall dwell in the presence, in the care of the Lord forever. That's security. Forever. That's eternity. The Lord is my shepherd. That's relationship. The shepherd has done everything. The sheep only needs to stay close to the shepherd. That's it. That is it. The shepherd does everything. John 10. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. You know, under the old covenant, the sheep died. 
Under the new covenant, the shepherd died for the sheep. First Peter. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And we shall meet our shepherd in heaven. Revelation 7 tells us, For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. Psalm 48 says, For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. On my desk are two sheep. And actually, I also got two sheep for my, uh, where I get ready in the morning. And I have one sheep that's down where I work out in the morning. And the one that's down where I work out is, a, is this kind of sheep, Lane. Because I, and personally, I need to be reminded to sit tight and wait more than I need to be reminded to get up and go. But on my desk every day where I do my writing are these two sheep that are reminders to me. Stay close to the shepherd. If he says go, get up and go. And if he says no, just wait right here. I want that for my life. With the shepherd, this is what we have. We have relationship, contentment, rest, refreshment, healing, guidance, purpose, testing, confidence, faithfulness, discipline, deliverance, hope, consecration, abundance, blessing, legacy, security, eternity. I have all of this because of my good shepherd's love for me, enough to give his life for me so I can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I am utterly content in my good shepherd's care. Yahweh Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. May I leave you with this blessing. May the Lord be your shepherd. You have everything you need. May he let you rest in green meadows and lead you beside peaceful streams, renewing your strength, guiding you along right paths, ever with you, casting out fear, comforting you, anointing you, abundantly blessing you with goodness and mercy. And you... May you be with him now and forever, bringing honor to his name all the days of your life. Thank you, Father. In our good shepherd's name, I pray this, your blessing on each of us. Amen. Thank you, ladies, for hanging in there today. Oh, stop. <laughs>